0: Musical,
1: linguistic.
2: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And in this past Monday night's live salon, our guests were Pat Murphy and Charlie Grobe. And while the focus of our discussion was Pat's new film, We kind of strayed from that a bit every once in a while, but his new film is titled Psychedelia, the History and Science of Mystical Experience. Now, this coming Saturday, November 28th, there's going to be a 45-minute live question and answer session at 2 o'clock Eastern Time, and this event is being hosted by Fluence and is going to include Pat along with one of the participants in a recent psychedelic research study. Now, a small fee is being charged for this, but it's also going to provide you with access to watch the film for a full week after the Q&A session. One of the uh, takeaways from this conversation with Pat and Charlie that I got is uh, how persistence can pay off even if you don't have access to significant resources. As you'll hear, Pat began this project when he was still a student at NYU. But it's taken him nine years to get to where this first virtual live screening is going to take place this Saturday. Now, when I watched a pre-release edit of this film, I had no idea about what went into its making. I just assumed Pat was a seasoned old documentary filmmaker. But as I watched it, my impression was that a large and well-funded crew had made it. You can't imagine my surprise when I heard the full story, uh, as you will in just a moment. In my opinion this is an excellent film and if you want to introduce somebody to the psychedelic community, somebody who has no idea about what psychedelics are all about, well I can't remember seeing a better film to show them than this one. It takes you from the ancient use of psychedelics right up through today's impressive medical research projects along with testimonials from people who participated in these programs. So even if you can't join the Q&A program on Saturday, I think it'll really be worth your time to watch this impressive film. I put a link to that event in the program notes for this podcast, which you'll find at psychedelicsalon.com, and under that link is a discount code that you can use should you decide to support this young filmmaker. Now, please join me and a few dozen other saloners while we visit with Pat Murphy and Charlie Grove. ...turn them which is what I plan to do tonight so that we can uh, get some publicity for this new movie. So let's start yeah. with, with, with you, Pat, and uh, sure. we'll, we'll get into the, the ways that you're promoting it and stuff like that uh, in, in a bit, but but uh, tell us a little bit about how this thing came about. I mean, this, <laughs> first of all, let me tell you guys, I, 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 I've i seen an a, a early cut of this movie, and it's It's really amazing because, you know, I've seen like you guys have seen so many of these things that uh, this one actually uh, held my attention the whole way through. And it's a very high quality. So uh, uh, let me just how how did you get into all this?
3: Yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. Uh, Believe it or not, I started making this film uh, just about nine years ago and uh, I was a student at NYU Film School. And uh, I was looking for a senior project, you know, a film to make for my senior project. And I heard about um, a study at the NYU School of Medicine using psilocybin with uh, people with cancer who were experiencing end-of-life anxiety. Um, And just kind of a light bulb went off in my head because, um, you know, I was 21 years old at the time. Um, The way I'd been introduced to this topic was not through you know an institutional means Uh, and all this was kind of new to me so uh, from there I started learning about you know how it was originally used by psychiatrists in the in the 50s and 60s um, before you know Timothy Leary left Harvard and Ken Kesey had his acid tests and and all that so um, it it was all new to me and I felt like it was you know an important story um, that needed to be shared and so that started me on the process of making the film and uh, yeah, that was about nine years ago. <laughs> if you can believe that.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the film is
3: is very high quality. Uh, you know, first of all, what
2: kind of equipment did you use to shoot that? It's, you know, it's like high definitely. I love it. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, uh, it was all done on a very low budget because um, you know I was a college student, uh, so we had access to the you know the cameras that they provided us. Um, and then honestly, I shot a lot of it on a uh, Canon T2I which is a little DSLR camera cost about 500 bucks at the time. Uh, It's probably worth 200 bucks now. Um, So all, yeah, all, all done very uh, on the cheap, but um, you know, trying to pay attention to lighting and that sort of stuff to kind of bring up the production value.
2: Well, well, the NYC uh, film school definitely gets some uh, accolades there because your lighting and all the, you know, the, the interviews that you did were, were really impressive. Uh, uh, the quality of the interview, the the, the film, and all, and, and the the questions asked. But I I have to ask you, uh, you know, I remember when when Charlie was writing this book that was a a collection of stories about a whole bunch of different psychedelic uh, elders, important ones. Uh, I asked him one time uh, how he got all those people together, and he said, "Well, it's sort of like herding cats." Uh, mm-hmm. how, <laughs> what was your experience of getting people like Charlie <laughs> to sit down for an interview?
3: Yeah, well I I was lucky. Charlie was um one of the last experts I interviewed. Um and so I, I I had sort of built trust among uh the doctors that I interviewed. Um and I and I had a pretty good idea of the story at that point. Um but early on when I approached these NYU doctors, um you know, I was treated with a good degree of skepticism because they were like, who is this kid and like what story is he trying to tell and you know, I really didn't, I didn't really know a lot about the filmmaking process. I didn't really know much about the story. I just knew that, you know, it, it was a story I wanted to tell. And I was sort of figuring it out as I went along. Um, so it took a, a long time to build the trust. Um, and, you know, I think I interviewed Charlie maybe three or four years into the process.
2: So so you really started out with more of an outline than a script. Is that true?
3: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it was I had all sorts of early ideas about how I was going to film me me and my friends and in the woods doing stuff. And it went through many, many iterations um, before sort of arriving at the the, the thing that you see.
0: now. Well, yeah, because creating B-roll for a project like this, that just sounds like wild amounts of fun.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. No, I had some fun, which, you know, some of that footage didn't make it in. Um, But yeah, it was just, you know, it was just a long slog. I mean, just many, many years and, you know, just, just chipping away at it over, you know.
2: I'm going to be careful here to not, you know, uh, be a spoiler alert or anything like that, because uh, I really, really want you all to see it. It's, it's, you know, all of us have seen, you know, dozens of these films. And this one, uh, is it, something that uh, should be shown in schools, for one thing, and, uh you know, in uh, all the psychedelic societies, I'm going to help promote it out on uh, Discord, but the thing is that it, it's, it's both a history uh, of the, you know, the ancient history, then the modern history, and then the current medical history, and that's why I, I don't want to give the uh, ending away, but I thought you did a, a perfect ending. It was just really the the right trajectory of the story. And, and uh, did that just, uh, and, and I'll just tell you, the ending has to deal with current patients. And that's why I think it was so powerful because it built up to how, you know, we've had thousands of years of experience with this and now the it's really coming to fruition. So how, was that one of your objectives in the beginning or did it just kind of come?
3: Yeah, so I, you know, I originally wanted to um, just focus on the current research which was um, that study that was going on at NYU at the time. That was kind of my original idea, um, but it took a long time to gain access um, to those participants that I interviewed. Um, so that's where it, why it sort of started as a history piece. Um, but in the process of making the film, I got access to uh, participants in these recent studies. And so, um, so that wasn't as intentional, um, but it's more that, I had to, in the beginning, I started with what I had, which was just archive and narration and a few interviews. So I started piecing together that history, and then sort of that, that more modern stuff came at the end of, end of the process. So um, so it was all kind of, you know, put, put together as, as the film was being made.
2: So Ch- Charlie,
4: do you remember how, how, how Pat approached you, uh, you know, how, how you got involved? Oh, uh, um well, I, 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 I think I, I was first contacted by, uh, Steve Ross at NYU who, um, uh, you know, urged me to, uh, respond to Pat who was planning to contact me. And, uh, Steve said he thought Pat was a, a good guy and was going to, uh, had the makings of what was going to be, a, a really nice, nice film. And, uh, and Pat just happened to catch me when I was in New York for a meeting, so it just the timing just worked out. We had a we had a really uh, good conversation. I think it was in the NYU treatment. Room. Mm-hmm. So it was a yep. nice, nice, really nice setting.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
4: uh, yep. and I, I, I've seen a couple iterations of the film. I I think it's great. And in fact, Lorenzo, if you recall, I, I think I was the one who sent you the link to it. Yes, <laughs> you are. That's how uh, I yep. first found <laughs> out about it it's from Charlie. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I particularly appreciated the the emphasis you gave to the indigenous use, and the, the ancient history, because I think that's often lost in the shuffle. If you look at some other uh, efforts to look at this topic, the, the field either started in the 50s or, even worse yet, just started 10 years ago. <laughs> There's <laughs> yeah. nothing else worth talking yep. about. And I think it's yeah, really exactly. important to, to acknowledge, really, the uh, – the, the extraordinary contribution of um, indigenous people through, throughout the ages of preserving the, uh, you know, the, the, mysteries of, 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 of these uh, extraordinary plants. So exactly. that, I think you did a great job with that part, as well as the rest. But I'll, I'll, let me also mention the visuals that you use were, mm-hmm. were wonderful. I, you know, I, I don't know what archive you, you did a deep dive into be, you came up with some priceless uh, visuals to, to, mm-hmm. to back the, uh, the dialogues
3: yep yeah yeah thank you and um yeah a lot of that was you know i i went to uh, nature and um doing a lot of time lapses and um making things out of focus that would then come into focus and um you know fiddling with like time and space as it pertains to nature seemed to kind of communicate the experiences that these people were were describing Um, So that was just, yeah, out in the woods filming a lot of nature footage over many different seasons and and many years.
2: And, and, you know, it gave it a a feeling, a sense of the psychedelic experience that wouldn't scare people off. You know, people have never had one. Uh, I I would say that uh, probably 20 percent of the people that listen to my podcast from the salon Uh, have never used psychedelics and most of them really aren't sure they ever will, but they're so curious about it. And and your, your, your film is really a, uh, it's, it's sort of like, you know, MDMA is to psychedelics. It's an easy way to get into it. (laughs) And, uh, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, that right now the, the fastest growing segment in, uh, cannabis use is age 65 and older. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, is, this is a film that will touch a lot of the baby boomers. Uh, I, I'm part of the, uh, forgotten generation. I'm older than a boomer, so I can speak, mm-hmm. uh, poorly about the boomers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, they, they, it's something that they can show to their grandkids. They might have to skip their children who might be a little more conservative, but, uh, I, I think it's a way to kind of do a cross-generational thing. Uh, and, and it's, it's the other direction is where, uh, some of our young, uh, people who are really, uh, engaged in, uh, beginning exploration of psychedelics can, can take this film to their grandparents and say, Hey, were you involved? In, what do you know about this? You know, it'll <laughs> yeah. get, it'll get some family dialogues going, I hope.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And that was really, um, one of my intentions in, in making the film, you know, I kind of the audience I had in mind were, were people who were new to this story um, and to maybe associate, you know, LSD with, you know, bad trips they read about in in the 60s and 70s in the newspapers or people ending up in insane asylums and, you know, all all the sort of rhetoric that, that was going on at that time. And I think, you know, people would be really fascinated to learn that before all that happened, it was being used... Um, you know, by psychiatrists and at Harvard University. You know, with uh, theological students and and I just felt like, yeah, I wanted to kind of. It's almost psychedelics one hundred and one. The the film, you know, it's like assuming people have no knowledge of this topic and sort of trying to encapsulate the whole story, in in one hour.
2: Well, you know, the subtitle of your film really uh, captures it too. It's the 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 mystical experience that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that moves the whole discussion into a different area for a lot of people too uh and and you didn't avoid the negatives you know i was I was pleased with that and uh unlike so many of these other things uh, uh documentaries i 've seen you you seem to get everything right at least <laughs> that, right <laughs> according to me you know and i 've been wrong about things, so i don 't want to say it 's absolute but I think you did your research was really solid uh, did you feel the same way, Charlie Because you and I are probably the only two that have seen this thing.
4: Right. I, I thought it was very well done and, uh, you know, factually accurate and it it, it had just the right tone.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
4: Thank so how, are,
2: how, how have you been, you know, when did you finish it and what have you been doing since it's uh,
5: been done?
3: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a funny uh, story. So I, I actually finished a version about five years ago um, and that played at film festivals um, and it won best documentary award at, at one of those film festivals Um, and it was picked up by uh, what's called a sales agent, which is somebody that represents the film and tries to get it, you know, on television or to a streaming platform or something like that. Um, And not really knowing anything about like the business of film distribution, I signed the rights over to this guy who I didn't know very well. Um, And uh, nothing materialized with that. Um, But he had the rights for three years. So from, Around 2016, I think is when I signed it over to 2019. And the rights were tied up with this sales agent who wasn't producing results and wasn't really giving it the care that I think it needed. Um, and then uh, Pollens book came out, I think in 2018. Michael Pollens book, mm-hmm. and people were coming to me and being like, "Did you know that psychedelics are were being used at NYU? Like <laughs> while we were studying I'm like, "Yeah, I spent like forever making a movie about this." And so I just realized, you know, I got to get this thing out here. Um, so I, I did a new version. Um, and I, I interviewed Rick Doblin, uh, Julie Holland, and uh, one of the researchers at Hopkins named Catherine McLean. And I found some new archival material to incorporate and just kind of tighten the story. And So this is really a new version, a new revised version of that film festival version from a few years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just in the beginning stages of being rolled out now.
2: And, and how are you going about doing that? Uh, I guess, yeah. you know, things like this, interviews like
3: this. Yep. Um, so uh, we're doing a, a virtual screening event, um, with, uh, an organization called Fluence. They do, uh, education training. Um, so starting on Saturday, if you purchase a ticket to this event, you can watch the film uh, on your own time for about a week-long period, and then we're going to be doing a virtual Q and A um, on the 28th of November, and that will be with uh, Jeff Gus from the NYU research team uh, and one of the participants of the psilocybin study. Have you Walcott. sent me
2: links to those those events already?
3: Yes, I think I have.
2: Okay, I'll double um, check because I want to okay. put those in the program notes for the podcast. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah that would be great. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that's the first kickoff event. Um, and you know, my goal is to partner with other organizations and psychedelic societies, um, to, you know, put together a bunch of these events, you know, probably start hopefully starting next year.
2: Well, you know, you might want to go out to our discord server. Uh, you go to psychedelicsalon.com and at the top of the page, there's a link to it. It's, it's free. You don't even have to put your email address in there and it's a gamers been using it for years. We started it after the pandemic uh, started, and uh, there's always uh, sixty or seventy people live online there, and there's uh, seven or eight hundred that have uh, joined up and participating, and there's a real active uh, community of uh, uh, local psychedelic societies from uh, several organizations. In fact, the the person who's really doing all the moderation on uh, on our Discord channel is uh uh the head of are involved in the minneapolis psychedelic society mm-hmm. and has helped uh get some of our uh interviewers here uh you know speaking engagements in some of the psychedelic societies so uh I'd suggest you go out there and uh don't be bashful just introduce yourself and say uh hey you you want to get some screenings going here because you know this yes. is you know, i i have to admit i get approached uh for things like this uh fairly often and it's it's not very often I get really struck by one that uh, you mm. you grabbed me with this one It's very very good.
1: Thank uh, you. And, you know it's kind Appreciate of difficult. That. Everybody
2: here hasn't seen it. So uh, does mm-hmm. anybody have any any questions about uh, this uh, from out of the blue here? Chris, is that you? Go ahead, Chris. Uh,
5: sorry, uh, I'm I'm completely unfamiliar with the work and. Um, mm-hmm. I don't mean to like rehash this, this like public knowledge. Um, but I'm just curious, like before you started making this movie, um, like how involved were you in the world of natural medicines and psychedelics in general and, and feel free to not answer this last part, but like what degree of personal use history do you have and how do you feel it's impacted
3: your life? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I was not, um, when I started making the film was not very involved, uh, in the community. Um, you know, I had had uh, my experiences. um, But um, yeah, this was a a sort of new world to me. And, you know, I was only 21 years old, too. So I was only, you know, senior in college. Um, And then, you know, I'd say, um, I had, I've had, you know, fair amount of uh, personal experiences. um, And those have kind of stuck with me. um, So much so that, I don't really feel the need to, um, repeat, um, because, you know, they were quite profound and I feel like the, the insights that, you know, I gained from those, I'll sort of carry with me for forever, you know?
5: Yeah. I I can definitely appreciate the whole, like, you know, once you get the message, you can put down the phone.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. There's a great, um, I think Alan Watts made the comparison of the microscope and, you know, the scientist doesn't, you know, the microscope opens up whole new worlds, but you don't spend all your time looking through the microscope. You you, you take what you've learned and you bring it back to, to the real world. And that that's kind of something I relate to.
0: Well, yeah. I think an interesting extension of the metaphor is that an old scientist doesn't throw away her microscope. She keeps it mm-hmm. in the back of her closet, mm-hmm. yep. you know, and every once in a while kind of, when the time is right, pulls it out and uses sure.
3: sure, sure.
2: Well, you know, like like my friend Bill radisinski used to say is that, uh, and he said this about ayahuasca. He says ayahuasca is the only medicine that gives homework. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's that's the that's the story. You know, it's something you don't ha- you you can't keep doing it because you got so much homework to do before you can get back to class.
0: Pat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you mentioned mm. that for this version of the film that you're currently uh, putting out you, you know, you found new material and sort of put out a new version. Like, I'm curious, like what, how much of the film did you have to change in order to be able to release it as a new version and for it to not be just, you know, the version that was tied up um, Mm -hmm. with the promoter?
3: Yeah, I would say um, roughly about 20%. Um, Yeah. And I would, you know, I would say, it's kind of that eighty twenty rule it's like i I changed twenty percent of it, and I think it made it eighty percent better um, but yeah, mainly uh new interviews, you know with Rick doblin and uh, the other two, and then um yeah just some really nice new archival material too that um, you know one of which I think reemphasizing the role of the CIA um, in 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 so the the huge role they played in really, uh, ironically starting the counterculture. Um, and you know, a lot of people like to blame Leary and, and the hippies and Ken Kesey, but it was it really started with the CIA and that was kind of like a big revelation that I felt like was really important to to fit into this new version. Yeah, this is
2: this is one of the first films that I've seen that it really makes it really clear that Ken Kesey had his first trip uh, from the CIA. <laughs> <You> yeah, <know? laughs> yep. You can't blame Ken Kesey. <laughs>
3: exactly. Yep. And and you know, there's a clip in the film of Timothy Leary saying, you know, I I give complete and total credit to the CIA for launching the the consciousness movements of the '60s. <laughs> I think he's being provocative, you know, like he, like he liked to do, but. But it's true. And also, yeah. um, Gordon Wasson, who, who uh, quote unquote, discovered magic mushrooms down in Mexico, uh, his trips were infiltrated by the CIA. And they were interested in mushrooms, um, you know, as a mind control weapon. And, and I believe they raced with uh, Albert Hoffman to figure out what was the ingredient that made it uh, psychedelic. And that was psilocybin. But I believe that CIA uh, chemists were were basically racing with Albert Hoffman to f- to figure that out. So, so in a lot of ways, they, you know, because if it weren't and they sponsored Wasson's trips down to Mexico. So, in a lot of ways, if and if it weren't for the CIA, Wasson never would have went down to Mexico. He never would have written that Life magazine article, which is what Timothy Leary, how Timothy Leary first got interested right. in this by reading that Life magazine article. So, and, you know, there's
2: been a lot of controversy about whether, uh, you know, Watson was actually a covert CIA agent. But mm-hmm. from from people I know that uh, I've talked with that, that knew him, at least peripherally and, and things I've read, I think he was taken on I I don't think he knew about it. I think he was just mm-hmm. too innocent to suspect something. We all were very innocent back then. People don't realize how, how nobody could believe the government would do something like MKO.
6: Charles, you were, mm-hmm. you were about yeah, to say something? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a question, uh, both for Pat and for Charlie. Um, it seems like over the last couple of years, we've achieved this kind of critical mass of real 101 level um, Information about psychedelics, whether it was Paulin's book or Have a Good Trip on uh, Netflix and, and other things, and I think we're just starting to see some good, you know, two or three hundred level things come out, like uh, The Wild Kindness uh, by uh, Bet Williams is a great answer to Pollen. So my question for both of you is, what are the conversations that we think have been done to death in the psychedelic co- uh, community that the mainstream? still needs to hear, and then the the, the corollary or follow-up to that is what are the conversations that need to be introduced to move the understanding of these medicines forward?
3: Do you want to take that, Charlie? Well, uh, yeah,
4: I could try. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, I think uh, the, the, the mainstream was heavily influenced by the uh, the propaganda wars of the 60s and the 70s, which uh, tarred these compounds as being uh, terribly dangerous and uh, not not safe under any circumstances, so I think just kind of just reestablishing that under optimal conditions th- these compounds can be used safely is an important message to continue to uh, to convey and what was the second part of the question
6: what what are the what are the next level um topics that need to be placed into the into the world
4: well um you you know the 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 field in the last couple of years probably um catalyzed by the pollen book has really come to life there's funding on a level that's never been present before new investigators Mm -hmm. are wanting to jump into the game you have the oregon initiative it's um It's a rapidly changing world. And I I think it's important that um, as quickly as we want to move with this, we also exert some caution and and just be careful. And so I think um, within the field, there, there needs to be some good discussions on how do you optimize safety and also discussions on how critical it is to establish strong ethical parameters. I just, uh, along with uh, Brian Anderson and Alicia Danforth, I published uh, an article in JAMA Psychiatry last month on um, ethical and safety concerns with uh, psychedelic medicine. So I think that, that that needs to have really serious attention by the people who want to do work, work in this field.
3: Yeah, and you know, I, I would add something that, you know, when I started making this film, Uh, it wasn't really a conversation that was really being had, but now there's a lot of um, sort of contentiousness around, you know, should these stay in the research setting, Um, you know, which is slow and methodical Um, should they be made widely available for people and many of whom are suffering, Um, you know, and I, I don't know personally, to be honest, where i stand on all that um but uh, but i'm interested and i've noticed it's a, it's a big seems to be a big rift in the in the community um mm. which you know and i i would in making the film you you do learn the lesson of if if the cat gets out of the bag you know you can lose a lot of progress um but i'd be curious what what your thoughts
6: Pat, do you feel like you're an ambassador for the medicines or do you feel like you're a journalist um uh, coming in with an objective point of view?
3: Uh I would say more of a journalist. Yeah. Um and you know, I'm a always been a history buff. Um and so I've I've always looked at it from a sort of in an interest of history more so.
2: Charles, I, I saw the movie as, as, as a, sort of a neutral. It wasn't, uh, trying to promote anything. It was just factual and, and, uh, let you make your own decisions, I think about it. But, but, you know, of course it presented the facts as, as we see them and, and, you know, it, it, it but it did cover some of the dark sides and all too. So, uh, I, I don't, I, I would agree with, with Pat that it was approached, uh,
6: more journalistically than anything. That was one of the things that tripped up Paulin, is that he got cast as an ambassador. And so he ended up doing that, you know, not so fast editorial about um, Mm -hmm. legalization right after Denver, uh, you know, passed their decriminalization thing, which is why I asked the question is that, you know, where, you know, he was certainly coming in not as an ambassador, but got, you know, painted that way. So that's, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear your point of view on that. And I thank you for sharing all of this.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I guess, you know, my, my thing is, um, you know, to me, the the big thing I learned in sort of learning about the history and, and learning about the indigenous use, too, is um, the importance of um, some sort of structure for these experiences that, you know, it's important to have a, a guide. And whether that's a psychiatrist or whether it's a shaman or whether it's a trusted friend, whatever it is. Um, and going in with an intention too, and and you know having sort of reverence for for the sacrament you're taking, I think that's su- super important. Um, and you know I think that should should guide you know whatever decisions are made, sort of looking forward about you know how you know what which one of these paths you know w- w- we take, whether it stays in the research or whether these legalization efforts move forward, et cetera.
6: I,
2: I don't want any uh, specifics here, but I'm wondering uh, about uh, was there any potential uh, contention or, or uh, competition between some of these people? I know that, that uh, between the psychedelic community in Northern California and Southern California, we have sort of a friendly rivalry. And, uh, you know, I uh, my friend Bill Radizinski used to live in Manhattan. And uh he really bad mouthed New Yorkers and he you know <laughs> spent much time out in the coast as he could but uh-huh. you know, we're all it's it's sort of a family thing that we, we it's not like getting together at Thanksgiving and talking politics. It's just, you know, sort of a friendly rivalry. Did you uh, without specifics, did you notice that among some of these researchers?
3: Um, you know, I I, I can't say I, I have. Um uh, yeah, I, I I I see Charlie laughing, so I don't know. <laughs> he knows something, but
2: but see I know Charlie's feelings on this, so I won't put him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> trying to
0: deflect it to Charlie. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I just had but, to ask it, you know. Mm-hmm, but I, yeah. I
2: think it's important that, that that people, particularly people that are coming into this community new uh realize that you know we don't all think alike and we're not all of a, a, a same accord. That you know we have our own you know disagreements and arguments. But the one of the things that, that uh you know I I just got through listening to the uh, two podcasts I've done uh one in twenty twelve and one in twenty seventeen, uh interviews with Bill Radzinski who is a close friend of mine that died last week. Oh. And uh he he commented on how when he first uh, got involved in the psychedelic community, it was at Palenque. And he said, you know, it was, it felt like family, not like it, it felt like family. where you had family rivalries and stuff like that, but that you could let your guard down and be who you were. And, and I think that's one of the things that uh, I hope that newcomers realize is that, uh, you know, there's, there's no leader of the, the, you know that uh, i I saw people having really uh, you know rabid disagreements with Terence McKenna, and they would argue you know and and uh, uh, the chemists would get into it various things, but you know at the at the end everybody'd smoke a joint and sit back and say, "Okay, well, that was fun
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I would say i mean i definitely yeah I, I wouldn't say um I really sensed uh between the researchers I interviewed i didn 't sense too much of a rivalry. But I've certainly sensed a rivalry between, uh, yeah, the psilocybin groups sometimes talk, <laughs> talking over the the LSD group or the ayahuasca crowd saying they're better than the others, and and it yeah it just seems seems kind of funny to me um, to me it seems like they're all kind of generally on the same side, but <laughs> <laughs> But so, yeah, so Charlie, I'm definitely...
2: I, I wondering, Charlie, now that there is more money available for research, has that lessened some of the uh, friendly rivalries between some of you, uh, you know, frontline well, I, researchers? Well, I, I
4: think in, as we've aged, I think the, the rivalries have dissipated. But before I get into let me just say I, I'm very sorry to hear about Bill Radzinski. Radzinski, I, I knew him quite well for a period of time. Very, very lovely guy. Always... Wanting to help others and uh, and fearless and very intrepid. I remember his stories about uh, climbing Machu Picchu with, I think two or three artificial joints. I mean, I I couldn't imagine doing that. You know, <laughs> a, a, a real um, y- y- you know, a, a real adventurer and a, and a very very lovely lovely guy. So I'm sorry to hear of his passing. He he is a loss. Oh but yeah. I, I, I did a a tribute thing Thursday. I I
2: found out Wednesday night uh, from his brother and Thursday morning was our regular live salon. So I did a tribute, but I was the only one there that knew him. And uh, I'm going to put that out. I told a bunch of stories and had a bunch of his pictures. Uh, but I would have put it out already. But the last podcast I did was a tribute to Timothy Leary, and I didn't want to follow that with a tribute to Bill Retzinski. And I was thinking everybody, in the Slans dying, you know. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put this podcast between that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bill was was uh, really one of a kind. You know, he was a parole officer in Manhattan was his final job, but he he'd done a lot of things. He was in the military and in Berlin, and that's where he became an asset head in Berlin while he was in the army. Uh, and his stories in those two podcasts are incredible. Uh, and you know, I used to tease him about being a cop, and he hated to be called a cop because he was a pro officer. But in one of these podcasts, he he uh, he was talking. I think this was with Lex Pelger, and he says, "No, I wasn't in law enforcement. I was just an armed social worker." <laughs> And, you know, he never, he never arrested a parolee, a parolee for breaking uh, his parole by smoking pot, uh, never in his whole career. So uh, he was sort of an armed social worker. So that was sort of a diversion. But I'm glad you remember him, Charlie. Uh, you and I had many adventures with him. Oh, yeah, we with had adventures
4: with him. Right, right. But, but <laughs> back to the rivalry issue, I think there was, there was also, I think the biggest rivalry back in the day was uh, the MDMA proponents versus the, the classic uh psychedelic, uh, uh, proponents. So I, I, I myself would knock heads on many occasions with, with Rick Doblin,
1: mm-hmm.
4: who, uh, <laughs> who would never given edge on the other hand, <laughs> neither did I. So.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <A snail laughs> right. And yeah, there's all that. There's a big question of is MDMA a psychedelic and yeah, people who have, have very strong feelings one way or the
7: other. <laughs> I have a question. mm mm-hmm.
3: Um and it's just mostly
7: something that just popped in my mind as you were speaking and that is w- when you said so definitively that uh the CIA was responsible for uh, uh the news that came out of Mexico and everything else so I was just really curious when Henry Luce died because Henry Luce was a Yale the CIA was made up of Yale And, uh, uh, and then I just looked it up and it was like he died of cancer at the beginning in 1967, which means his influence may have gone away at time life because that's about the time in 66 when time life turned on psychedelic
4: drugs. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if there's a backstory to that at all, or if that's just me being crazy. No, I, I've heard that Henry Luce had some affiliation with, um, with intelligence yeah yeah, yeah. and that then that that may have catalyzed uh his his interest in uh in what Wasson was trying to undertake but i also think as lorenzo was pointing out some of wasson's early funding may have come through foundations set up by the cia uh, un- masked as educational foundations Oh, that's a special the, the Schleicher foundation was one a number of the researchers in the fifties, either knowingly or unknowingly did receive funding from, uh, from intelligence. By the way, there's a really right. good book out now recently published written by Stephen Kinsler called the poisoner in chief. It focuses on, uh, Sydney Gottlieb, who was, mm. uh, MK Ultra's chemist and who really, uh, was involved in some rather nefarious, uh, activities. So it's a well-written book. And, uh, I'm learning a lot from Mm it.
3: If Henry Luce, though, was associated with the CIA, why would he, do you think, I'm just wondering, I'm just thinking out loud, why would he encourage Wasson to write the article?
4: That was in the 50s. -hmm. I mean, it was an old boys network. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he encouraged Wasson's uh, explorations. You know, Wasson had her, you know, Wasson was fascinated with how different cultures around the the world utilize mushrooms he had a russian born wife who was a mycophile you know, he lost himself at british origins he considered himself a mycophobe and um huh. he he he, uh, he he heard a rumor actually it was in a letter sent to him by robert graves the great british uh, novelist saying that he heard had heard that there was an extant mushroom cult in the highlands of central mexico so that's when lawson got the idea of going off to explore this and um I think Luce encouraged him, may have helped him with uh, really funding the whole expedition. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. Now, in
4: terms of the d- more direct CIA involvement, that was on the second expedition Wasson made uh, a couple of years after the first, where he had met Maria Sabina, and he brought and a chemist who didn't reveal himself as CIA, but somehow tagged along on the exp- expedition. And you know, Maria Sabina invited the group to partake. And uh, participated in a velada, a, a healing ceremony, and evidently the um, the CIA chemist had a terrible experience because he he was holding on to a lie. He he was there under false pretense, and uh, to go into a psychedelic experience uh, knowingly deceiving others can perhaps mm. set you up for a very rough ride <laughs> <that> he had <laughs> <laughs> and somehow or other yeah. the truth of who he was came out either then or somewhat later
3: <laughs> but they didn't find that out right until quite a bit later, later. the not 70s not, maybe
4: not at the time yes at right. point, look it, it may actually not have been revealed until the church hearings in the mid-70s remember frank church the senator uh chaired uh, congressional hearings, uh, you know, revealing the CIA and military intelligence involvement with early psychedelic research and describe some of the terribly unethical and dangerous things they did to unwitting subjects.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: You know, yeah, this, the church this hearings inter-
1: were really something
7: else. What? And the church hearings were really something else. And hardly anybody ever talks about them anymore. But, uh, man, in real
4: time, that was something. Yeah the revelations were shocking sure at the time
3: what year was that
4: mid 70s i
7: I think i would say 74 75
4: after nixon
7: got sacked yeah i mean Mm -hmm. they opened up all sorts of investigations Mm -hmm. Um, well i don't need to get off
6: on that but what was the substance of them as relates to this topic
4: Oh, they were, they were simply revealing of CIA and intelligence involvement in some pretty nasty stuff. I I, I mean, there is actually a couple books I recommend uh, on this. One is uh, Marty Lee and Bruce Schlain, um, uh, Acid Dreams. The other is uh, Storming Heaven by uh, Jay Stevens. Stevens. Outstanding books, both written in the late 80s that open up a lot of this uh, history.
6: You know, one of the interesting things, uh, Charlie and Pat, is this, this information you're emphasizing about the CIA being involved with Gordon Wasson creates a new dimension to the suffering that Maria Sabina uh, experienced in, in, in Maria Sabina, rather, in her late life. There's the issues of her house being burned. There's the issue of, you know, the children being angry with her and the child, you know, the mushrooms being angry with her and cutting off uh, contact. And, the the fact that you know this infiltration occurred you know in her open heartedness just adds dimension to that story in a very interesting way. I think her hu-
4: yeah. either her husband, or her son was murdered, mm-hmm. you know, directly as retaliation for her opening up the secrets, opening up the mysteries. It was right. really looked askance by, y- y- you know, her her neighbors, people who, you know, in, in in that culture, that she was opening the secrets up to to to, to westerners.
6: To, to gringos yep. And not just it, gringos uh, the cia yeah. what <laughs> not just gringos but the the secret police of the gringos
4: yeah although the cia mm-hmm. element probably didn't get revealed t- till later but just having you know people traipsing through their remote village really disturbed the the, the cultural equilibrium they had
5: yep it's, it's, is she also not quoted as it um talking about how the uh, proliferation and use of the mushrooms, uh, especially by, um, you know, Americans, uh, influenced and affected the spirit of the mushrooms and the, like, felt presence of the experiences for oh. the local culture. Yeah.
3: I, yeah, I think she has a quote saying, um, you know, when Westerners started going down to Mexico, you know, taking the mush- looking for God through the mushrooms, they, the mushrooms lost their power and could never be returned she felt she she did feel that like westerners going down there sort of polluted the the space basically
5: i that, um, i always heard that as well and I, i'm sorry to kind of tangentially move the conversation but that's my exact same like qualm with a lot of the decriminalization and legalization movements
3: yes and i know that's very controversial with peyote right where Uh, it's a very, very rare plant and it's obviously sacred to the indigenous people. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of concern about sort of over overuse of that. Harley Um, mm -hmm. isn't Sorry, Pat. Oh yeah. Just, I was just going to say off Maria Sabina, like the, the encouraging thing is that when, when Albert Hoffman uh, presented her a pill of psilocybin, she's, she's reported to have said, uh, the spirit is in the pill. Uh, whether or not that's confirmed, we don't know, but that's hopefully a, a light ending to that otherwise tragic, tragic story. A question for
6: Charlie that builds off of this discussion. Um, as somebody that's really done a lot of research and advocated for the medicalization, how do you feel about the issues that Chris brings up about um, kind of letting loose the sacred secret you know, into the, into the materialist world?
4: well it it's already there you know all you need to do is walk in the woods and now you have uh, l- legal sanction in various cities and uh, one state maybe other other states will uh will uh will follow i i, I you know i think one lesson you, you'll learn from whatever indigenous culture you look at is the, these compounds have to be treated with great respect and, and and if you don't, you may you, you may end up paying the consequences. So uh, as it, as it proliferates out into the world, and more and more people are hearing about it and getting interested in having an experience, you know, it's got to be approached with uh, with respect and humility. Uh, whether it's in a research setting or in your friend's living room, um, it, it, there needs to be a uh, a structure that facilitates. Uh, you, you know the process, and uh, and and keeping in mind at all times that these are, um, you know, it's it's not, uh, you know, it doesn't ad- adhere to our scientific uh, perspective. But um, you know, th- these, as Maria Sabino would say, they, 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 there are actual spirits in these compounds, and uh, and and they should not be trifled with, or uh, there will be consequences. And those are some hard lessons. Some people seem to need need to learn yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> you know there's another issue which is uh, of more recent origin which has some people concern, which is the increasing involvement of of, of business uh in, in in this field there are some businesses that are setting themselves up uh, as for profits others as not for profits and um and it, it, it's a real dilemma how to, uh, um, how, how to regard these. On the one hand, they're pouring funds in and it's moving the field forward. On the other hand, should, um, you know, wealthy individuals exploit this area to, uh, to, 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 to garner more profit for themselves?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That, that, that right. that's problematic and will I think we'll need more attention as, uh, as we move forward in time
3: yeah i I was shocked i read an article just recently and um i had no idea there were like 12 13 14 different companies yeah um, many of which have gone public many of which have big funding huge funding. and yeah yeah, and i'm (laughs) i'm just i I don't know what to make of it
4: i'm It, 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 it it's a concern and um one thing I'm concerned about is, and I've seen some evidence of it, is that in order, you know, the need to optimize profit, you reduce costs. And what does that mean? You you downgrade the uh, the number of preparatory sessions and integrative sessions. You lower whatever s- standards you are working with. Um, th- th- this could create a scenario where individuals are are more vulnerable to uh, having some difficulties with the experience
3: right yeah there's a great um article about that uh by a guy named andrew penn who's at uh uc san francisco and um it was out on the chakruna newsletter huh. recently um but it he he calls for keeping the human element of in you know psychedelic, psychotherapy right where he kind of talks about this like strange new world where like you say it's made cheaply available maybe through an app, some sort of electronic means. And, you know, he, he argues for like the importance of keeping of of the therapist, right. And in the experience and that that's enormously important. And how is that going to be integrated into this business model?
4: Right. You know, another challenge is, um, you know, we have a pandemic going on. A lot of the studies have been suspended temporarily, but, um, as as we go back into the the, the treatment room there's some uh, i you know uh, kind of troubling suggestions such such as n- no therapist present just a therapist on a zoom and I, I i would really i think there's something about that that human presence the the human contact and sometimes there's a need for a gentle touch on a shoulder if someone is starting to angst out starting to kind of get an obsessive loop just some gentle reassurance with the uh, gentle appropriate touching you can't do that with a patient all alone in a room with a uh an internet hookup right.
2: i think these laws should require that all therapists be 3d
4: people yeah <laughs> <laughs> and have a heart and a soul
3: <laughs> yeah and the other weird thing is like i guess um the the only way you can make money in pharmaceutical uh, industry is to patent something yeah so they're creating these like sort of hybrid um, medicines where it'll be like ketamine mixed with something else or psilocybin mixed with something else and I, i i don't know i just You know, they have to create something new, right? You can't can't make money off of psilocybin.
2: Commercialization of psychedelics, I think, particularly psychedelic therapy, is going to be a disaster. I I was involved in the Internet for a number of years before the web came around. And when the web came around, it was the first year uh, the web was there, we were under the old laws, old rules, no commercialization. And us old-timers really fought it. Now, picture the web today, if there was no spam, no advertising and, and nobody tracking you. That's the old internet. Now that's commercialization has brought all of the stuff that we have right now that we don't like. Uh, this kind of technology would have developed without commercialization in various ways, I'm sure. Uh, one of the, the arguments, uh, in the old days that the big corporations had against commercialization is that, you no, know, who, who, how are we going to pay people to build these websites? Nobody realized that people would do this for free. Uh, you know, it's, it's there's something strange goes on there, and then when you commercialize it, then all the the worms come out and everything. And I'm afraid that with psychedelics, the uh, the same things might be there. So, part of what I think our our role should be is to kind of push back a little bit and to make sure at least they're ethical in in, in these okay. therapies and, and uh really not just going after the buck like you're saying you know that that you know maps at least has shown that you should never have more than two or three sessions uh so that's you know they're they're you know so far that's what their studies have shown as far as i know uh but you know you can't keep selling a pill every day to people uh, with psychedelic therapy so there's going to be some strange stuff happening
5: i'm
6: afraid Well, this is where resisting the internal rivalries that Pat was describing in the community is going to be really important as as we progress. You know, it's one thing to call attention to issues and, and manage things within the House. It's another thing to have, you know, internal power struggles and bickering when there's this larger structure that's, you know, trying to inch its way in.
4: Right. That's right. There should be a united front you know, at least around the issues of safety and ethics. mhm Right. It can seems like form um, a, yeah. a, a consumer reports organization
2: uh, staffed by people like Charlie and, and uh, other people have been around for a long time that can uh, say, well, you know, I wouldn't buy a pill from these people, but uh, these people are
6: okay. You know, I don't know. Well, uh, before, before that, I I need before that, it needs a manifesto. It doesn't need an organization yet. It needs people like Charlie and, you know, 40 other well-respected experts to basically put out, you know, like John Perry Barlow's manifesto about the sovereign rights of the internet, about, you know, what our expectations are um, for the next 20 years of, you know, psychedelics. That's a good idea. A really good idea.
2: Mm-hmm
0: and at the same time regardless of what goes on at the high levels of you know the marketplace one of the just mind blowing transitions that i feel so elated to have lived through in the last you know decade or so is the fact that now your average person can grow a pot plant in their backyard and you know we're getting closer to the day where if people want to have an organic relationship with these things on their own terms with these plants on their own terms nobody's going to be kicking in the door because you know someone saw a leaf peeking up over the top of a fence in your backyard like that nonsense like we have we have made a lot of progress in pushing that back um from the you know distinctly unsettling progress that it's made into our lives over the last few decades. But, and and so in that space that's opened, the, there is also room for companies and companies behave the way companies are programmed to behave. And we shouldn't be surprised when they do that, um, you know, but regardless of what goes on in the market, you know, there is also space coming along with this stuff the space for people to grow it on their own and have a relationship with it that is on their own terms and free of paranoia. Uh, and I, I think that is a massive thing that we shouldn't lose sight of, you know, as the giant companies come tromping into the landscape.
2: Another thing that I, I would like us all to keep sight of is uh, the good news uh, from this election. There's no question this country is divided down the middle, but every single Marijuana and psychedelic issue on every ballot in every state passed overwhelmingly, and that 's with this divided country, so there is something afoot here, and I think that that you know there there's a lot of good stuff going on and and films like yours, Pat, are really going to help a lot because. Here we have a, a case tonight with a, several dozen of us. Charlie and you and I are the only three that have seen your film. And look <laughs> at the discussion that it prompted without even seeing it. So, w- you know, wait until yeah. sometime when you guys can all see it, we can get together and talk about it. And, and that's really the, the value of what your, your work is here. And you know, this is a nine-year project with basically a lot of your own money, mainly your own money. In it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, that's what, what psychedelic community can do. We don't need huge corporations, but when they come around, there there are some, you know, wealthy people who are very conscientious about this and are supporting research and, and uh you know they're they're fighting their inroads. They're not publicity hounds and so you don't hear about them. But uh, you know, we, we don't want to just totally shut them out, but I think we need to look at who's behind some of these corporations, who the ownership is, and that way you can figure out a lot more about the, the mission statement that they have. But uh, circling back to how we began tonight is—I'm—I'm uh, I'm excited that uh, your
3: your film that nobody has seen has sparked so much of a
2: difference. <laughs> <How do you laughs> That's a very good that?
3: point. I—I <laughs> yeah. I feel so good about it. And I mean, that's really what I want to do with the film, right? I want to screen it. Uh, it can be in a virtual format. It has to be in a virtual format because uh, because of, of the pandemic. Um, but you know, my other thought is maybe I should create some sort of discussion guide, perhaps with some of your help and, um, you know, lay out a couple of these issues that we've been talking about, um, and use the film as a, a catalyst for discussion. Um, you well you've know, got a, uh,
2: a couple of screening coming up and all, uh, there's some information on your website, right? And I'm going to mm-hmm. put that in the program notes. Why, why don't you tell us uh, how people can go about seeing this now?
3: Yeah. So, um, the event, uh, hosted by Fluence is starting, uh, this Saturday which is the uh, 21st, I believe. Um, so you'll, you'd be able to watch the film between, the, I think, the 21st and the 29th. So about an eight-day eight period. Um, and then there's a virtual Q&A on the 28th uh, with myself and uh, Jeff Guss and a participant in the psilocybin study. Um, so they can go to the Fluence's website uh, to find that event and sign up. I think their website's fluence8, like the number 8.com. Uh, and you'll 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 see the event on the homepage there. This
7: event is something that you posted, Lorenzo, because I knew all that.
3: I th- yeah, I did send you. I believe I sent you uh, links to to all that. Yeah, you you sent a link to your your own website, and I
2: linked. I sent them the link to the about page, where where you can find a lot of that too.
3: Okay, gotcha. Yep. Uh. Yeah. So you can sign up through my website. Um. But it it'd be easier to just go direct to through uh for this particular event.
6: If you'd be game to to come back, I bet a whole bunch of us would love to chat about it with you sometime next month. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, And and yeah, you know, my my goal is to find other organizations, you know, that want to host screenings, Um, you know, and I can work with with these organizations, you know, uh, one by one to kind of find out what they want to do. But it's honestly exactly what we just did here. Just we would watch the film on our own time in a set, you know, period and then have a have a discussion on zoom
2: i think that's a great idea and and charlie for for a long time i've been uh wanting to get you to come into one of these uh, thursday night discussions but or monday night discussions but i know what your schedule has been like have you slowed down any because of the pandemic
4: oh well, i'm working entirely from home so yeah i don't have my long commutes that gives me some extra time i'd be happy so, to come back and, and well, well, I'll talk to you offline
2: about that. And we'll definitely set that up in the near future because uh, I really want to catch up. You know, I, I got used to seeing you every month for a while there and now, now that doesn't happen. So uh, we need to, you,
1: yeah.
2: yeah, we need to catch up, but <laughs> well, listen, I've really enjoyed the discussion tonight. Uh, I, I uh, hope that we can all help uh, promote this this film because it's really worthwhile and and uh pat will i'll get together with you offline we'll see if we can arrange a, a screening just for uh the, one of these uh monday night sessions or something like that too that yeah be yeah that'd be great we'll have, a, have a long one and and uh or a two-parter or something like that and then have Q and A afterwards so uh get charlie and and maybe julie holland and rick doblin a few others in here that uh, i can try to uh, a few other cats i can herd <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: now that'd be awesome um, well, listen. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like I could keep talking for for hours. I mean, well, just, just, we're, there's so much we're, here. So
2: we're we're definitely going to have you back. I've really enjoyed it. And and Charlie, uh, I appreciate you being here tonight. We're going to have you back too. My uh, pleasure.
4: Good to see you again. Been a while.
2: And uh, everybody else, uh, a lot of you guys, I'll see Thursday or Monday. And uh, until the next time, keep the old faith and stay high. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Namaste, my
1: friends.